Hello, my name is Jacob. And I'm his co-host, five-year-old Olivia. Do you have kids? And are your kids curious? If you answered yes, you should check out Curious Kid Podcast, a weekly educational podcast for curious kids and grown-ups. Every week we learn about another topic. We've already learned about spiderwebs, batteries, the moon, and so much more. You can find us at CuriousKidPodcast.Buzzsprout.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. And now, on with the show. Hey everyone, welcome to... We're watching here! We're watching here! This is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris Williams. With me, he is the movie 43 to my collateral beauty. Perry Cyber. <laughs> I'll take that. I would rather be movie 43. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, how you doing? Very welcome I'm, back. I'm excellent. Thank you, Chris. Welcome back to you. How you doing? I'm good. It's, it, you know, it's not been too long since we recorded. So it's, no, it's, uh, not at all. We are talking the best of the decade. On this episode, which should be really quick because we're doing it on in 2020. So, uh, not that, yeah, it's very tight. It's whatever that, what's that Christian Stewart space movie? That's about it, right? That's all we got so far this year. (laughs) That's right. That is Uh, number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine, ten. Underwater people. Lock it up. Uh, Is it in outer space or is it in the ocean? I I don't even know. I can't tell from the trailer. It's underwater, so I'm guessing it's underwater. So it's about her housing issues. Okay, that's good. Yes. The mortgage problem. She just has a lot of work. She has so much on her plate. I'd watch TJ Miller do anything. It's fine. (laughs) Obviously, this is the best of last decade. Um, it didn't make much sense to do it before the decade was out. So no, this is the uh, this is the best of last decade. Uh, it's it's one we talked. I think we talked about doing it back in October. I originally thought about and and you kept saying there's more time. There's more time, and I think that's good because there were several from 2019 I considered for my best of decade list as we went on. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you kind of need that time to decompress. I didn't end up putting any from last year on. But, okay. Uh, but uh, it's nice to kind of step away from the best of the year, take a deep breath, and then kind of look back at 10 long years of, of what I mean, 10 years ago, we didn't think the world was going to blow up the next moment. <laughs> it, it was a different time. We were happy. We were younger. Uh, I had a goatee, and it was black. Uh, I just started growing one again, and it's white. And uh, that's... That's the nature of our world we live in. Um, but yeah, so we, we did the top 10 list and. We uh, did. I, and it was interesting. This was, um, it wasn't hard for me to come up with, uh, the, with the films that were in serious con, con, uh, consideration for me. It was impossible to rank them, <laughs> okay. which was very different than, I, I, you know, we've talked about this. For me, a, an end of the year list, a top 10 that you do at the end of the year is such a snapshot. It is mm-hmm. such a, uh, uh, combustible list that I don't know at all. This is more interesting. You know, the films, uh, the films from 10 years ago, I, that I knew were going to be on this, I knew were going to be on this. They're oh, the wow. films that I have lived with for 10 years, for eight years, for five years. I have seen these films multiple times and I know that they still resonate with me. And so it's always interesting, uh, uh looking at the breakdown, it's always interesting to me to see which one of these 
how many of them are 10 years old and how many of them are from the last one or two years. Uh, you know, it's a less volatile list and it feels way more weighty and serious, which is why there are, there are a handful of films that I am, I'm sorely disappointed they aren't in my top 10, <laughs> which doesn't mean I don't love them, but that's, that's the fun thing about this. I love all of these movies <laughs> so much. Yeah. I, okay. You said you had an easy time with your list. I thought I did. Like I and I know we've we've talked over the years and you've mentioned it. We, oh yeah, this is one of the best of the decade. One of the best of the decade. Yeah. And I've kind of kept a running list in my head. And then <laughs> when I started thinking about oh we're going to eventually do this show, I'm like I'm going to start making that list of best of the decade. And I didn't have a problem getting a list of ten films. And I, I did in October and I got a list. And I'm like I want to let this sit for a bit and then I'll come back to it and see do I agree with this. And it's weird because for a while I did. And then I started begin thinking, like, okay, what's your reason? Why? And the, the criteria I had to have was this. Like, I, I, I think, obviously, we just state that this is not the 10 best films. This is our favorites. These are the ones that stuck with us in many cases. You might, or my, for me, that's how it's, it is. It's always a combination of both. Yeah. I don't want to, I, I, I am willing to go to the mat on any of the, okay. all 10 of these. And some of them, two, two of them for sure ain't going to be on anybody else's list. Okay. I'm fairly confident that two of these will, would not end up on anybody else's top ten list, except for the people who made them, okay. and then deservedly so. Well, uh, yeah, and then they are movies that I would say. They, most of these movies were on my top ten list that year. So I, I would defend their quality, yeah. but I would say, really, it was more of a heart thing. Like, I kind of know what belongs and what I'm just maybe wanting to put in there, because there were a lot of movies that when I looked at the list, I'm like... I haven't seen this in a while, and I think I'm leaning on the fact that back when I saw it, I thought, oh, this one will stick around for a bit. But I don't know that I could defend it. Whereas there are other movies I think of, and I'm like, oh, this hurts to leave off the list because I think of this movie now, and I remember chewing it apart. I remember (laughs) it changing me. I remember going back to it, reading other critics about it, arguing with other people about it. It had to be something that stuck with me. And some stuck with me in a way I can still remember. I remember how that movie makes me feel. Because a lot of these I've only seen one time. But I remember the conversation. I remember what affected me and what impacted me. And in a lot of these cases, they are movies that I went back on second views and wrote second reviews of. Because my, <laughs> my views had changed so much. Yep. Um, so I found a list of 10. That grew to a list of 20. As recently as this morning, I was putting the new, like, and thinking, no, this is the movie that feels right in this spot. This is, there was a movie at number two I had that went off the list. And another movie replaced <laughs> it. And I defend that choice 100%. We can talk about what wasn't on our list later. Yes. Um, we'll but all that to list. say, it's a top ten list of the decade. If your films are not on here, it's because we hate you. <laughs> Now, obviously, it's, it's personal taste. It's where we saw the movies. It's what we think of the movies, how it's affected us in our life. I am very curious to see if we have any overlap on here. Yes. One or two. We have not. We have not shared this list. We normally do when we just do three because we want to make sure it's an entertaining listen and mm-hmm. not talk about the same three movies. So, yes. But this is a – we're going in cold on each other here. So – and we're going to do this in two parts. So, this week, we're going to do number 10 through number 6. Next week, we're going to do 5 through 1. So, uh, Perry, why don't you kick us off with your number 10? Uh, number 10 is the most recent film. Really? Uh, from the decade to make this list. Uh, and it got there, it got there on that second viewing. It is Martin Scorsese's The Irishman. Interesting. I am going to, I will slot The Irishman in at 10 at this point. Okay. Uh, for all the reasons we've talked about over and over. It's, 
Um, I, I will say when I first, so what I did, I made this list about three weeks ago. Uh, I sat down with my list. I keep a list, a hard list of every movie I see, every new movie I see. And I went through my last 10 years and I just jotted down on another piece of paper any film that I thought, yep, I would consider this for best of the decade. And I had, I had 19 movies. Okay. That was how I got my 19. Ranking them was just about impossible. Aside from the top two. <laughs> I had my top two and in order. Um, and so, uh, this could have been anywhere. I saw The Irishman a second time. After making that list. Okay. And uh, that was the point where I was like, yeah, it's going on. Okay. I, I find it to be just the epic masterpiece we've talked about over and over and over. I really, really want to clear out three and a half hours <laughs> to watch it again. Uh, I'm not going to disagree with your placement on that list at all because obviously I love The Irishman. It was both of our picks are the best film of last year. Um, yeah, I, I think I... I don't trust myself putting 2019 films on the list uh, because I just am aware of, with me, how much things settle over time. And, sure. Um, you know, even like I, I think about my best decade list 10 years ago, I had the Lord of the Rings trilogy at the top <laughs> of the list. And I enjoy those movies, but I think there were three movies this year that made me think about those movies a lot differently, <laughs> or this decade that made me think about them a lot differently. I had United 93 on the list, and I haven't thought about that in a long time. Yeah. Um, so I didn't put any newer ones on just because I knew over time, I want to be sure. Uh, but I definitely considered The Irishman because, yeah, I, everything you said, it is, it is such a damn good movie. Yeah. It is a movie I can't wait to see again. And, uh, even some of the things that I thought bugged me at first, uh, maybe the CGI and stuff, I found a way to feel like, oh no, that thematically, I, I, I like that. I, <laughs> I like the fact that it's the same guy, even if it, even if you can see the seams a bit. It has to be the same person at this age, so you feel the weight of it. Uh, that's a that's a great pick. That's uh, and I knew you'd have a Martin Scorsese on a pick. So oh um, oh, just one. <laughs> oh, so I li- that's interesting. I limited myself to. Um, all right, I, I will also say I, I cheated at one point in this list. That we'll, we'll this episode. But I limited myself to one film per director, which made for some very hard choices oh, at some point. I didn't. Um, and that's fine, because you are probably going to mention things that killed me to leave off my list. So, probably. Uh, so yeah, I'm really... Really excited to hear your list. Uh, I had, I had, uh, I had three different directors, uh, four different directors who I, out of those, out of those 19 films, there were four directors that appeared more than once. Okay. All right. I'm excited to hear that. That's not to say they're all going to appear on this top 10 list, but there we go. Irishman's a good pick. It, it is Thank what you. it is. It's, yeah. It is what it is. <laughs> yes. That's really all one needs to say now, isn't it? Uh, so How about you, Chris? You're number 10. My number 10 for me, uh, and it was one of those late editions where I had another film in here, um, and I just had to go with my heart to say I wanted a movie in here that had just filled me with so much joy when I saw it. And uh, a movie I just just has a special place in my heart. It is Sing Street uh, from 2016. Wow, all right. Uh, I, this is a movie, gosh, I, I remember seeing this movie. I, I didn't see it in theaters. I went out and I bought the DVD because I... So liked once. I really liked Begin Again. And so I knew, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna probably enjoy this movie. So I'll go to Target. They had it to buy. I'm like, I'll just get it and I'll see. It's like 15 bucks. I went home. I remember I was having a rough night for some reason. I think Kelly was out of town. So I was home with the kids and I was probably just exhausted and kind of just wanted to toss in a movie. And this movie filled me with so much joy <laughs> and happiness. Yeah. I, I was smiling ear to ear at the end. And Kelly came home from her trip. 
And I'm like, you need to sit down and watch this movie with me because I think it is the best movie of the year. <laughs> and we watched it. And she did not think it was the best movie of the year. But she, she really enjoyed it. And uh, I loved it, too. And I've gone back to it a few times. I've listened to the soundtrack. Um, I love John Carney's movies. I, I love them. I, I Once is a fantastic movie. I think Begin Again. We've talked about yeah. both of those a little bit on this show. Um, I think this is his most polished movie. I love the energy and the emotion it has. Uh, for those who don't know, it's a story about a boy in 1980s Dublin who uh, creates a band to impress a girl. and That's it. Yes. It, it, and then he falls in love with the band. And uh, really, th- this is just such a joyful, wonderful movie. And it gets at two things I love about creating art that I don't always think a lot of films deal with. Uh, one thing I love is how it talks about how art begins with imitation. Because the movie, the songs that the band is doing in this movie, that Sing Street is doing in this movie, are basically copies of what they hear on the radio. Yes. So you have the Duran Duran song. You have the other type of 80s songs that I'm, they're blanking on me now. There, but, uh, it's all that early 80s new romantic, new wave vibe. Yeah. That's exactly where it's set. And, and at first it, you know, I, it can seem like a little gimmick. Like, oh, they're going with the 80s movie. Ha ha ha. But really, if you think about it, if you're a creative person, if you're a writer or a musician, you probably started this way. I know I started writing stories, copying the language of the, the, the people I read. When I started doing film reviews, if I look back at my film reviews from maybe like the late 90s, early 2000s, they were very Ain't It Cool News influenced. Like that kind of <laughs> slang, that kind of just casual talk. And then you can kind of see when I start reading a little more Eber. And then you discover your own voice. And I love this because it captures that process. But the other thing that Carney does so well is he, and this is in all his movies, art is contagious. It is something that you do with other people. It's about, it's not just the joy of making music. His movie is all about the joy of making music together. Uh, it's art is relationship glue. Mm-hmm. And, and I love that. I love just that this is a romance, but there's just as much love that he has for the music and the band as he does for this girl he's interested in. And I love the way even that they, they find a way to rope the bully into into what they're doing instead of the bully getting to come up and he gets to be part of that. Um, this is a movie that I just think has several, it has songs I love. Uh, I think Drive It Like You Stole It is one of my most <laughs> listened to tracks of the decade. Uh, it, it's just, it, it, it's fun, but it's never overly light. There are serious moments, there are struggles the character's going through that, you know, it, I think are handled well without it ever becoming too moody or treacly. Jack Rayner, is so good in this movie and has a monologue that I just, I, I adore. Um, yeah, I mean, I, if I was to push this one up against maybe some of the artier films of that year, maybe quality wise, it doesn't quite hit there, but there's so much heart to it that just really impressed me that I have not shaken this movie and <laughs> it just felt right to at least include it on this list in my number 10. Love it. What about number nine for you? Number nine for me is, uh, I'm, I'm looking over the list. I want to see if I can say that this is true. And I'm going to say yes. This is, um, uh, this was one of the, uh, as, as with all these films, for me, it's always a matter of having the overwhelming first experience with it mm-hmm. and then going back to it and having it validated. Okay. Just to realize, oh yeah, it wasn't just right time, right place. It didn't just hit me at the right mood. This really is great. And okay. this re- can do that to me repeatedly and will for years and years and years. Uh, this was one of the, the most pleasurable first experiences I had at a movie all year because it's the, it's a director 
uh, it's a director coming into full flower. It's a director finding their voice and knowing they have it and having it with full confidence. And it's David O. Russell's Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, that's Which a is a, uh, I, 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 I have no problem saying the finest romantic comedy of the decade. Uh, the romantic comedy that figured out how to avoid the pitfall that kills all romantic comedies for me, which is the third act breakup. Mm-hmm. It always feels forced. It always feels fake. And you know they're just going to get back together. And all of the air goes out of romantic comedies for me uh, in the third act. Yeah. It's really hard to get around that. Uh, even something as charming as like music and lyrics, which is a super enjoyable movie. They get to that third act break and they're like, oh, we got to do this. There's no surprise. Not only is there not a third act breakup, he's figured out an entirely different way <laughs> to to get around that and give you a third act without having that tired, hoary plot point covered over and over again. Uh, throw in the fact that it is a it's a great Bradley Cooper performance. Yes, it, is. it is a super energetic film. It is where Russell figured out how to really channel all of his kinetic energy mm-hmm. and his his just his people are. Anxious and nervous don't even quite cover it. They're just live wires. And where it didn't seem out of control and it didn't seem showy. Uh, and it's the film that, you know, it's the film that made Jennifer Lawrence a star <laughs> and got, made her the youngest best actress winner in history. <laughs> and, and it, uh, it, and it holds up beautifully. It holds up time after time. I think it's, I think it's a marvelous piece of grandly entertaining filmmaking that came from someone who uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought he would have done that. It was such a great surprise. And I'd liked The Fighter previously, mm-hmm. but this was, boy, he'd never done something that is so incredibly charming and so incredibly, uh, satisfying to an audience. It's, it is, it is a really likable movie that doesn't shy away from being difficult. Yeah. <laughs> It's great. That that's a good pick. I, I have not seen Silver Linings Playbook in a few years, um, but I did see it several times the year it was released. I saw a screening. I as soon as I got a screener, I watched it. I, I enjoyed that. It was on my top ten list that year. Um, it's really weird to think twenty years ago, David O. Russell was the guy making the weird <laughs> war movie that showed the guy's guts. Yes, right. I mean, he was Three Kings, and I love Three Kings. Three Kings is fabulous. But he this decade. Became a totally different filmmaker. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I, I like The Fighter quite a bit. I really like Silver Lighting's Playbook. Uh, I think American Hustle is great fun. Um, and I haven't seen Joy, but... Uh, That's okay. Okay. <laughs> if, 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 no, I, 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 Joy's, Joy's the weakest of those movies. I think Bradley Cooper, that is the time I started to kind of perk my ears up about him. <laughs> um, because I think I knew him as the Wedding Crashers guy at of that course. point. Um but that was the first time where I perked my ears up. I'm like, oh, wait, this this guy has something. Um, Jennifer Lawrence, I, you know, Winter's Bone was how many years before that? A year or two? A year or two, but that's a, such a good movie. But the fact <laughs> that she, you know, within this decade, the performance she, she gave in that, in Silver Lining's oh, yeah. book, she's she's great. She's a lot of fun in it. Uh, it's a very funny movie. From very. Robert, very funny. Robert De Niro, also. He's a guy who... I had written him off at that point in terms of seeing him invested in anything at that point, in anything other than Fockers and SNL, uh, <laughs> you know, and those are not high points. He's great in this. I love the emotion he has in this. Uh, that's a great pick. I, I really, 
I really like Silver Lightning's playbook. I need to watch that again. Um, I love the third act dance off. Yeah, it's and that's what people complain about that it just kind of turns into this different thing. I'm like, why is that bad? Yeah, <laughs> you know, you've, yes, you've avoided the obvious cliche yeah. of having them break up. Now, I mean, again, spoiler filled. <laughs> it's no, we're not gonna. Well, never mind. Number nine. You're number nine, Chris. <laughs> All right, my number nine is my cheat, and it's. Would technically be higher, except I penalized myself <laughs> from cheating. For cheating. Because All it's right. two movies. You really penalized the films, not you, I, but okay. 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 Well, you might get upset when you hear what films it is, too. <laughs> uh, I'm ready for a spit take. <laughs> I'm ready for my spit take. It, it, it's number nine. I had to include both of them together because the fact that the same filmmaker made both films is why I just elevates them, in my opinion. It's The Wolf of Wall Street in Silence. Oh, okay. Um... I'm never going to complain about a Scorsese and, film on your list, let alone two. And I considered The Irishman, too. I considered doing this like a triple cheat. Um, except I, I do think, like, Wolf of Wall Street and Silence, to me, I look at those and I, and I just feel those are those, those are among the best things he's made. And, <laughs> and they are towering achievements. Um, and I think Irishman, just I need to let that settle, but I have no doubt it fits right alongside them. Um this was a damn good decade for Scorsese. Oh yes, um, I had forgotten. We've talked oh, about yes. before that he did Hugo, and but he also he started with Shutter Island, which I think is a lot of fun. Yeah, I like Shutter Island. Um, he's done three documentaries this decade, two TV shows. He's been busy. Yes, but he has not been lazy. Um, Wolf of Wall Street and Silence are two of my favorite movies he's done. Not that I want to revisit them a lot. <laughs> But I, I mean, those are movies I remember where I was when I saw them because you do not forget those experiences. And they are such different experiences. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street is just this raucous, profane, angry <laughs> ride. Um, I heard a, I heard a uh, critic argue, and, and I think there's some merit to this. You can look at Goodfellas, Casino, and Wolf of Wall Street as a trilogy of sorts about how crime in America becomes institutionalized and accepted <laughs> because you go from, you know, that's good. Yes. Crime of Goodfellas to casino where it's still mob, but it's legitimate. And then Wolf of Wall Street is just what we aspire to. Yes. And, uh, it, man, this is a movie that leaves you feeling yeah. like you need a shower. I felt dirty after seeing this movie, <laughs> but I think that is like, that's the point. I, I really gotten some tons of arguments with people who, you know, made the argument that often comes with Scorsese that he's endorsing this. And I'm like, no, no, no. He, the indulgence is the point. You need to feel this and you need to realize it's kind of fun. And there's a reason people get into this. And there's a reason people indulge in this because it's fun and it kills us. And, uh, I, <clears throat> that is a movie that, man, I will never see it again. But, uh, <laughs> but I loved it. I think Leonardo DiCaprio, that might be my favorite performance he's given. Um, <laughs> once upon a time in Hollywood, it's really close, but he is so funny. <coughs> he is so funny in this movie. Yes. And just loot, like physical comedy too, yes. which I did not know he had in him. I don't know why I would have doubted that. But man, that Quaalude scene is so, that's his highlight reel. That's the scene where I realized how DiCaprio, you know, you know as, you know, I could talk about Scorsese forever and I have and I will continue to. <laughs> but if, you know, it's, 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 you have to talk about the effect of De Niro 
And you have to talk about the effect of DiCaprio. Mm-hmm. DiCaprio got him the budgets he needs mm-hmm. to make the movies the way he wants to make them. Uh, and Wolf is the moment where DiCaprio showed to me something that even De Niro would never have done. Because De Niro is not willing to be laughed at on screen. It's... That's not what he yeah. does. And that's, and I'm not saying, I'm not talking about his ego. I don't mean that. I just mean as a screen persona, he really has never done that. Uh, King of Comedy might be the only exception to that. And even then, he's sort of threatening. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it, there's, there's something menacing about it. It's not, he's not a, fi- he's a figure so pathetic. He's sad. He's not, you're not laughing at Rupert Pupkin. Or at least I don't think you're supposed to be. Through that, throughout the, by, by the latter half of the movie for sure. But oh, that extended Quaaludes sequence is there oh. just to make sure you understand that Jordan Belfort is a horrible, yeah. horrible person who deserves to be ridiculed at every possible level. And DiCaprio's willingly gives himself over to that in a way I could never imagine even a young De Niro doing that scene. I can't picture it in my head. I agree. I was only pausing because I'm like, well, he did do Dirty Grandpa. But, <laughs> but, but even that, he's not, right, he's not, yeah, yeah. that's, yeah, the young De Niro would never have done that. Yeah, no, that's true. That's I, true. And, that. and that's, that's remarkable too. That is, that is a, that is a willingness to go there. <laughs> this, a phrase I hate that I am using because I have no other good word for it. Uh, cause I hate, cause I hate the word artistic bravery even more. So, <laughs> but that he's willing to get so willing to be that unlikable. Oh yeah. Not unsympathetic, unlikable. There's a difference. He's so unlikable. And then when he gives those speeches in front of the, in front of the, <laughs> yes. like, like, I don't like him, but I'm like, I will follow that man. You know, yes. like that is, that is an amazing full throttle performance. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, then you think of, oh yeah. Margot Robbie's in this, and she's fantastic. Jonah Hill's fantastic. Jonah Hill's so good in that. Uh, Matthew McConaughey. Like, that is just a movie that is an embarrassment of riches, because I think <laughs> Scorsese's throwing every trick he has at the screen. I mean, this is a movie that breaks the fourth wall. There are, I think there are, no, there are a ton of flashbacks in it, but he's just, he's using all sorts of tricks to tell this story, and it moves with an energy that a man in his 60s I don't know where he gets that because I'm 40 and I don't have that. But it, it's a movie that feels like it's made with a by a very young, angry filmmaker with something to prove. And no, it's it's Scorsese just proving he's the best at what he does. Indeed. And again, it's a movie, but it's not just you know surface level energy. There there is anger behind it. He is making an indictment of America in this. Yes, and he's indicting the audience. That enjoys this in yes. many ways. Ah, oh, it's so good. And then he comes out three years later and does Silence. Yes. Which feels like the tonal opposite. It is a... <laughs> it doesn't feel like... It is. It is quiet and meditative. It is a very somber, sober movie about faith and doubt. And I... There were several movies that dealt with doubt this decade that I considered. I considered Calvary, First Reformed, things like that. But I, I feel like Silence is, to me, the one that hit it the hardest. I mean, Scorsese's been doing wrestling with uh, faith and doubt his whole career. This is, I think, the most explicit and successful he's been with it. Ask me my number eight, Chris. Ask me my oh, number eight. Sh- oh, okay. Maybe I need to move on and move to your number eight. Um, so we'll get to that then. I will just say real quick, these movies added, were added back onto my list this morning. <laughs> I, had them, I had them on there from the start. Excellent. Lined up. 
I took them off because there was a part of me thinking, we've talked so much about Scorsese in the last few months <laughs> that maybe I just need to move it for the sake of conversation. But then I'm like, I can't do the best of the decade without these two movies because that that was just a flip of the coin that stunned the hell out of me that he did that. What's your number eight? My number eight is Martin Scorsese's Silence. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Um, which I will say is there because, uh, in addition to all the reasons you said, it's, uh, and call this nerdy, call this elitist, I don't care. It is the one film that requires you to, to appreciate and understand your film history, to know what he is doing, to understand how he's borrowing from Bergman, from Ozu, from Kurosawa, from so many greats before him. It is, it is the last great gasp of, the generation that was informed by the great foreign filmmakers of the 50s and 40s and 50s and 60s. It is, it's a stunning piece of work. It is so, and you can see, like, I've gotten quieter. Because <laughs> <laughs> I do when I talk about this movie. It is, it is such, uh, such both an intellectual and spiritual experience mm-hmm. that, Absolutely. and I don't, I don't know a film that's touched that. It is, it is that thing about making it. It is not aesthetically. Uh, 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 it's not a bomb. It's not. It's not ugly. Mm-hmm. It's not hard to look at. But it is. There is no conventional pleasure to be had in it, uh, because it's about such serious things and about uh, such a deep examination of, you know, w- what is a betrayal of God and what isn't, and that the film offers no answer. It gives you what the character has decided upon, but it doesn't in any way indicate that this is right or that they, that there's a, there's an answer in there. Uh, it's just a beautiful movie and yeah. I, 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 I adore it. And it is, it is the film, it is the film on this list I find uh, the most difficult to, to recommend to anybody. No, if you don't have an interest, I understand. I'm not going to convince you otherwise other than tell you then you're missing out on one of the absolute great cinematic experiences of, of the decade. Agreed. Have you read the novel? I never have. Okay, so I read it going in. And it's oh, it's a great novel. And so I read it before I saw the book. Or before I saw the movie. Uh, <laughs> and this this is such a great adaptation of it. When you say it is a movie hard to recommend to people, I have people all the time at my church and, and you know, friends who know me Christian <laughs> who are asking me all the time, you know, what would you recommend a good movie about faith? And I can't recommend this movie to them because I know that they're wanting... You know, a God's Not Dead or something like that. Yes. That's going to give them an easy answer. Uh, I remember the scene in this movie, and it's the scene in the book that gets me, is when he makes that final choice of what he's going to do. Yes. There is a conventional movie that would have him make a certain choice and give you a much easier ending to wrap your head around. Yes. The way that Scorsese lets that play out, and he uses a very strategic voiceover at that moment as well. Yes. You have to go back and you ask questions that there are no answers to. You, you're gonna, your, your interpretation of what happens in that sequence can change based on, is this the voice of God? Is this his voice? What happens in that final sequence? Uh, this is a movie you turn over and then if you are someone who is prone to doubt and you are someone who wonders, you know, what, you know, we hear all the stories of the heroes of the faith. We never hear about the apostatizers. What's their story? This is that story. Yes. And ah, I, I love this movie. Um, I've only seen it the one time because it is a hard movie to go back and revisit. Uh, but I have a Blu-ray in the next room that I need to revisit really soon. So very glad that that's your number eight choice. <laughs> and your number eight. 
My number eight choice uh, is Get Out by uh, Jordan Peele. Okay. Um, I, you know, I was a fan of Key and Peele. I, I loved the show. And it was obvious from that show that someone involved in that mix, whether it was Key, Peele, or the, the director's name escapes me, but he did most of their episodes he directed Keanu, um, that they had a love for cinema. Because that was a show that understood cinematic tropes. It used the aesthetics of, of cinema. It wasn't a sketch comedy looking show. That still made me a bit apprehensive when I heard Jordan Peele was making a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Because I kind of thought, oh, I know what it's going to be. It's going to be a fun, silly little slasher movie, most likely. And then I heard it was going to tackle racism, and I knew who the enemies were going to be. And oh my gosh, this movie surprised the heck out of me. Um, not only because it went in directions that I didn't think of that were brilliant, it came out of the gate with, there is so much confidence in this movie. This is one of the most confident directorial debuts I've seen. He knows what he is doing from the first scene, and this is a movie that every piece is put together so well. Every every little piece of furniture is thought of, because there are there is symbolism throughout this movie that I'm still catching on second and third views. Um, I think this is like one of the best bits of uh, social commentary uh, of the decade. I think Peel just doesn't go for the obvious targets. You could make a movie about racism, and people should be making movies about racism in this day and age. But he could have easily gone after low-hanging fruit. And he doesn't. He goes through the, for the people who are on his side from the start. You know, the guys who voted for Obama would vote for Obama a third time if they could. <laughs> um, and he asks really difficult questions. He, This is the first movie where I can remember seeing and feeling like, Oh, I kind of understand what a black man might feel like in my neighborhood with, with white eyes staring at him. I haven't had a movie capture that and show me that and make me think about that and then realize that, you know, I think I'm better than people. You know, I think I'm, I think I'm more woke, more evolved, but do I have my own prejudices? Do I have my own, uh, my own ways of living that, that I don't even see the microaggressions, things like that. So he plays with a lot of these ideas. And yet he does it in service of a movie that I think is also so highly entertaining. It, it is a movie that I just think works like clockwork. <laughs> it Everything is thought out. Everything is just really meticulously planned. Like I said, down to the symbolism. The, the picking cotton thing mm-hmm. to save it. And, and it spoils this movie. is a huge hit. You've seen this movie. But uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't catch that on first viewing. I never put two and two together there. And then it was the third viewing when I saw him using the antlers to defend himself. Yes. But I'm like, oh, shit. Like, this... Peel knows what he's doing here. Um, it's... Gosh. It's been a while since I've seen it. Uh, that's kind of going to be the common theme. Um, but it's it's just so meticulously assembled. I don't think it's terrifying. I actually find Us to be a scarier movie, a more visceral movie. But I think the ideas it's playing with, the idea of... Other people wanting control of your body. Other people wanting to use you. That's terrifying. The, the sunken place is the most terrifying place I've seen in movies this decade. Um, there, are, there are just so many great ideas here. And yet it never feels like work. It feels effortless to watch this movie. This is also just a highly entertaining, funny movie. I love Daniel Kaluuya in the lead role. He's fantastic. Uh, oh, he's great. Catherine Keener is always great. Yes, she is. But that hypnotism scene is just... She's on point. Bradley Whitford, I... The cast it. is uniformly excellent in the movie. Allison Williams, too. Allison Williams is great, too. Um, yeah, this is just a movie that I, I love, and it's been a great 
decade for horror movies. I considered The Babadook. I considered It Follows, which I really like. Um, but Get Out is the one that I saw, and I was like, as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is one of the best movies of the year. And then I compiled my top ten list. It was like number five. I watched it again after that, and I was like, oh, damn, I have to put Get Out at the top of this list. So uh, <laughs> it was my favorite film of 2017. And, uh, yeah, I love it. I love Get Out. Excellent. What is your number seven, Harry? Uh My number seven is uh, I could have picked uh, – I, I could have picked any of this director's uh, first three films. Oh, okay. No, his second or third film. Uh, a, a director who just just passed 40 recently. Uh uh, a guy whose work I, I have really loved. Uh, I'm a big believer. I wish that the Pulitzer Prize uh, awarded for screenwriting. Not every year. Just when it's really deserved. And uh, this is one of the two films uh, on my list. Maybe three. Where I just think on the page, this is so good. How could you couldn't have possibly messed this up? You'd have to be a horrible director to mess up a script this good. Uh, and that's Jeff Nichols' Mud. Mud oh, has stuck wow. with me forever. Oh, I think it's an good. absolutely glorious, uh, capital R romantic story, a uh, coming yeah. of age story that is, uh, part Twain, part, uh, uh, I don't even have another part for it. It's just, it, it is, it is elemental. It is, it is, it is dealing with grand themes. It is, it is a fairy tale writ large. <laughs> yeah, as a, as a coming of age tale, uh, Jeff Nichols had a great decade. I'm a I'm a big fan of the man's work. Uh, I'm I'm always excited to see what he does next. This is for my money a perfect screenplay, and uh, uh, just fabulous work from everybody involved. It looks amazing. I'm not one who's prone to romantic thoughts about the Mississippi River. <laughs> and boy, the Mississippi River looks beautiful in this movie. <laughs> it's, it's just a fabulous setting that has the natural, uh, pull that you, that it, that, that it demands it. That is, it's asking you to ascribe it in the movie. Uh, and if for no other reason it has the single greatest character name of the decade, if not the century, there's a kid in this movie named Neckbone. And it is never explained. It's the main character's best friend. He's called Neckbone. Neckbone, Chris. N- I don't care how long either of us writes, we will never come up with a character name as good as Neckbone. No, we that we don't bother to explain. Neckbone. Neckbone. Oh, I'm just realizing. Neckbone. And it's a throw. It's, the, I'm not saying it's the best thing in the movie. I'm just saying it is the, wow. Neckbone. That's how well written this movie is, Chris. I'm just realizing we bought a dog at uh, Christmas and we just made a horrible mistake with naming. Should we, we, it should have been Neckbone. <laughs> oh, gosh, Mud. I Gosh, I haven't seen that. I love Mud. Since its release. But, yes, that is a great... Jeff Nichols is... Uh, did he... Was Take Shelter this decade? That was the one just before that, yes. Okay. That was. Oh, gosh, I can't believe I didn't even think of it. Either of those are great that. choices. I oh. just... I, I, I think Mud is... Mud's, I just, mud is perfect to me. I mean, I love Nichols' work. Mud is the only thing to me is is in the perfect zone, and then yeah. I love I love the other stuff a bunch. This is I'm not knocking it; I'm ripping. Midnight Special could be a tad more coherent, but otherwise, <laughs> it's, no, I agree. I, it's um, mud just works. Mud mud works like some gigantic thing that's always been there. That's what it is. It like I said, it's like a fairy tale. It just it has always been, and it always will be, and it's got such a great, huge, deep theme in it. And the kid's really great. It's a fantastic lead performance by a 13 or 14 year old kid. Uh, 
uh, you know, one of the key films of the McConaissance. Yeah, I was just thinking, <laughs> was that the first... That, that was definitely my, before Dallas My Fires favorite Club. thing Reese Witherspoon has been in all decade. Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah, no, that's a good choice. I, I like that movie. I remember seeing that, and uh, my thoughts immediately went to Mark Twain. I, I remember yeah. it's a modern-day yes. Tom Sawyer story. No, that's great, and I love McConaughey in that. Um, Your number seven. My number seven. Okay, so I'm going to set this up. You really... I, I know you could, but you really can't if you want to talk about this decade in totality in cinema. You really can't do it without talking about the comic book movie. Um I, I mean, I'm sure he could, but it was it was everywhere for for good and bad. Um, there were comic book movies before this, but this was the decade where it was just omnipresent, and there were quite a few I considered for this list because I knew I had to have one on there. Um, I'm not a fan of Joker, obviously, but I appreciate the attempt to do something new there. I, I appreciate that more the further I get from it, uh, and can kind of separate my. The unpleasantness that I felt watching that movie, I can appreciate the attempt of it. Um, I seriously considered Avengers Endgame for this list uh, because I do think that while the films are of varying quality, I really admire what Marvel has done in telling a story over 20 films. Now, they have had missteps. They have had things that don't take. They kind of give an illusion of change without actually having to commit to change. And a good third of their films look gray and muddy, but uh, but I did consider Avengers Endgame because I felt like that was a great summation, a way to tie that up. I could have gone with Guardians of the Galaxy, which was in my top ten list one year. I could have gone with Black Panther. I went instead with what I think was the movie that best captured the joys of reading a comic book, and a movie that still gives me immense pleasure to watch, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. A movie I deeply love. My son loads this up onto Netflix all the time. And I will stop and watch it all the time with him. I love this movie. I think it is proof that if you want to do the absolute best and most faithful adaptation of a comic book, you should be looking at animation. I don't know why it's taken so long for that to kick in. Uh, And I know it's because people think animation is kiddie stuff, but... I mean, you only have to look back <laughs> at every list of superhero movies that includes Brad Bird's The Incredibles on there to know he figured it out years ago. Animation is the way to tell these stories. It frees it of any obligation to physics or reality. It can capture the dimension-hopping joy of a far-out comic book. It can move through time and space with an energy you really can't replicate in live action. It's gorgeous to look at, and besides, all those Marvel movies are half-animated anyway. <laughs> Half is a kind percentage. Yeah. Um, this movie just, it, it, it looks like nothing else I've seen all decade. I don't have a problem with computer generated animation. I love the Pixar movies. I like a lot of Disney's new animated stuff. But there's something about the way computer animation is often used that makes the characters look very plastic to me. And I feel like in this, they cracked it. They use computer animation but took their touchstones from 2D animation to give something that just looks so fun and fresh and it moves so quickly. And this movie is just, it is a joy to look at. Just the way they use, you know, they'll do the onomatopoeia sound effects on there. (laughs) They can flip between buildings in a way that just wouldn't look right in live action. They can go anywhere and do anything. And it moves with such speed and grace, and it goes between silly humor and powerful character turns. 
this is just, I, aesthetically, this is one of my favorite movies of the year. I, I, I love the way this movie looks, but I also love that this is a Spider-Man movie that understands the appeal of Spider-Man. Peter Parker could be anyone. He could be you or me. He is just some kid that got bit by a spider. <laughs> and the theme of this movie is anyone can wear a mask. And it gives this wonderful cast a, t- a chance to shine. Um, I love that this was the decade in which we began arguing for more diversity and inclusion in our blockbuster films. And we finally got female-fronted superhero movies. Finally got a Black Panther movie. Um, I love that this is diverse without feeling like it's doing anything astounding. It's just there. This is the fabric of this world. Miles Morales is such a great hero. I love Miles Morales. He is, you know, this wonderful little black Latino kid who just, he steals the movie. He is the hero. Um, you know, and Peter Parker's kind of this oaf in this movie. Uh, I love that. I love that my son can look at that and see, hey, I could be a hero. But you know what? It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what sex you are. You could be a boy. You could be a girl. You could be a robot. You could be a talking pig. You could be a hero. Um, <laughs> you could be a black and white. You could. You could be a black and white Nicolas Cage <laughs> character. Um, I just think this movie is a blast. It is so much fun to watch. It puts me in mind of reading great comic books when I was a kid. I love that it just effortlessly gets so weird and, you know, so many live-action movies have to do so much heavy lifting, lifting to convince us of, like, inner dimensions and things like this. And this is just, no, there's inner dimensions now. It's happening. Let's deal with the rest of the story. And then there are these wonderful, heartfelt moments. I love the relationship between uh, Miles and his father. Because it's the, the rare parent-child relationship you see in these movies where the parent is not someone who just doesn't understand... It's not someone who's absent. They're not killed off. It is a loving father who wants to be there for his son. And the whole movie is about his son trying to decide which role model he's going to follow. Gosh, I love this movie. It is fun. It is funny. I mean, we haven't... You talk about people who've had great great decades, and you might disagree with me slightly on this. Lord (laughs) and Miller were involved in this one, or at least Lord was. But, man, I, I really did consider the 21 Jump Street films for this list. Um, I really liked Lego Movie, but, man, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, I think it's the best superhero movie ever made. I think it's the best animated film of this decade. I adore this movie. My uh, my 16-year-old daughter would agree with you. Okay, great. She loves this movie. She uh, She's not a huge con- she doesn't. She's not attached to superheroes in any way. She just loves this movie. Oh, it's so much fun. I I adore that. It's a good one. What do you got at number six, Terry? Uh, For number six, I have uh, uh, film. We've talked about this movie, uh, so I won't go on at length. uh, Other than to say, it's uh, it's the only musical on the list. I know. <laughs> of course you know what it is. It's the last five years. Richard Lagravenis' adaptation of Jason Robert Brown's two-person sung-through musical uh, about a couple and their five-year relationship uh, that is uh, – it's it's a Mobius strip of, of emotion that will run you the gamut. <laughs> you will feel love. You will feel joy. You will feel heartbreak. You will feel immense, intense anger and frustration. Uh and boy, every time it doesn't matter. I, I can't tell you how many times I've seen this now. It's got to be in the double digits and it works every time. And it works on me the same way every time. I know it's coming and I still feel it. And, uh, boy, it's the rare film that can do that. And, uh, I, I, I've listened to it. <laughs> I have watched it. Uh, 
it's such a marvelous homemade little movie that uh, as the the music uh, we've talked about this, the music folds back on itself. The very last song brings you back to the opening theme that you heard in the movie, and Lagravini uh, doubles down on that with the images in a way that is just it just makes you want to restart it and just keep going through it over and over again. It's a film I, I, I just adore. I don't expect anyone else to love it as much as I do. And I will tell you, I, 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 I say this, uh, with no humility at all. Anna Kendrick should have won an Oscar. There's, I don't, I, 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 there's only one other, there's only one other performance by a lead actress I can think of all decade that I think was as good. And that'll be coming up a little later. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a fabulous piece of work. You know, okay, so after the over the holiday break, my wife was uh, watching Pitch Perfect, and <laughs> I I had not I had not ever seen Pitch Perfect, and I still haven't seen Pitch Perfect because I kind of I was just kind of sitting there with a book, and I kind of absentmindedly would check in, and whatever she kind of enjoyed it, kind of you know she was okay with it, and all I thought every scene was wow. The last five years knew how to use Anna Kendrick. <laughs> um, I, I've seen this movie once. I saw it when we talked about it for this podcast. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I don't think I love it as much as you do no. because I haven't had the time with it, and I still feel like I have issues with the uh, the male in it, the male lead in it. Um, but uh, this is a movie that once I saw it, it is not. I have not stopped thinking about it. I, it's always kind of top of my. Oddly enough, when I was watching Marriage Story. I kept thinking back yeah. to this. Uh, no, it's great. I have pulled up the soundtrack several times and had that on, and that is a weird experience because your emotions just kind of yeah. roller coaster the whole time. Um, yeah, I that's a great choice. I, I really like that movie, um, and I'm glad you're bringing attention to it because it does feel like one that is... Nobody saw. No one saw. Nobody saw. And I'll bring it up to people. Um, I have friends who like musicals. I'm like, have you seen the last five years? No, I haven't even heard of it. I'm like, hey, you should give this one a chance. It, it, it's good. It's... Uh, yeah, and I, I do like that. That was also one of my favorite episodes we did this year, last year, was the musical. Excellent. Uh, so I'm glad we got to see it for that. All right, bring home the end of the first half of this double episode behemoth for us, Chris. All right. Your number six. My number six is the Grand Budapest Hotel. I feel like this is a decade, man, it, I learned to not just like Wes Anderson, but to love his movies. <laughs> um, he, I really have had a complex relation, relationship with his movies. Some of them just really keep me at arm's length. So, like, the first time I saw Rushmore, I really felt like I could not process that movie or get on its wavelength. It's He's very stylish. But I like Royal Tenenbaums. Um, and I've since gone back and really like Rushmore. But uh, there was something about his aesthetic, the way he was so stylized, that it kept me at arm's length. I just felt like I could never accept anything in the movies as real. Um, and so I was always watching... <laughs> like, I was always observing... And it never felt quite human to me. I never quite was able to accept it. Uh, that changed this decade. Because uh, he delivered two films that I loved. Um, I really considered Moonrise Kingdom for this list. Which is one I really like. I I, I love the characters, the ensemble in that. I love the look of that thing. But uh, I decided to go with the, most, the... But I decided to go with the Grand Budapest Hotel. Because if it's not the best Wes Anderson movie... It's certainly the most Wes Anderson movie. Um, it's just him let loose. It is a elegant, stylistic treat. Like, there are these pastries that show up throughout the movie. 
elegant pastries, and that's what this movie is. It's just this meticulously designed <laughs> treat where nothing looks real. Everything is looking very storybook, and it it kind of moves. Sometimes it's very silly. Sometimes it's kind of like a madcap farce. Other times there are bursts of violence and profanity, and cats die, and. Uh, it, it just feels, it feels of a piece with Wes Anderson's other work. But I feel like this is the first one where that aesthetic is crucial to the theme of the movie. Because this is a movie about keeping an appearance up when the rest of the world is going to hell. It's about celebrating elegance and style at a time when the world is kind of dangerous and falling apart. Um, I, I feel like it's the first time when that style feels natural. Especially the framing device he has where it's Stories within stories within stories that you're watching that kind of lead to this main story of uh, M. Gustave on the run for murder. And uh, just this really great performance by Ray Fiennes, who I think is a joy in this movie. It's a fabulous um, performance. It, it's basically... It's a fabulous performance. It, it's his performance from Hail Caesar over two hours, which I love. But there is... Oh, would this so simple? <laughs> but it's, it's also just... It, it, there's a <laughs> sadness to it. To the movie, uh, there's this melancholy undercurrent that I think is in all of Wes Anderson's movies, but in this, it really, it really touched me. Um, I think the entire cast is great. I love Ed Norton in this, who is very funny. I don't think he's quite as funny as he is in Moonrise Kingdom, but uh, he's ha- he's always having a lot of fun when he's with uh, when he's with Wes Anderson. Uh, there's as always a great Bill Murray performance. Uh, very small role in this one, but he gets to introduce a world of. Uh, international concierges that I think is just really fun. And like maybe the most Wes Anderson thing in the world that would be this. Jeff Goldblum is a who. William Def- Willem Dafoe is great. Saoirse Ronan continues to be great this decade. And there's an unrecognizable Tilda Swinton. Uh, I think it's his most nimble. You didn't even mention my favorite. Which one? Adrian Brody. I like Adrian Brody in that oh, film God, a ton. Yes. I like Adrian Brody in that film a ton. It's been a few years on this one again. Um, but this, I think this is his most nimble film. I think it's the one that just... The humor and the uh, the bittersweetness mingle a lot better in this one than a lot of his other ones, where I think there are times where it kind of feels forced or, like, tones are colliding. This one just kind of strikes me as a little more effortless. effortless. Um, yeah, I just, I, I, I really enjoyed this movie. It's, it's, a, it's a treat when you watch it. And uh, Grand Budapest Hotel is my number six. This is interesting. We, uh, we might have to devote a whole episode to Wes, because really? I have... I don't have dissimilar emotions from you, but my responses to the films are very different. I oh, don't. Because I, I actually, I dislike Moonrise Kingdom. I think Moonrise Kingdom does not work. Oh, wow. Um, especially dealing with the kids. I think all the stuff with the adults is really good. I find the stuff with the kids so mannered and so un, unreal and unbelievable and unfairy. I mean, not even, I'm, I'm not asking it to be realistic. Mm. For, I am out of the movie. I'm not buying it. I don't, I have no, that has no zero emotional pull for me. Oh, um, and I like Budapest Hotel. My problem with Budapest Hotel is he so undersells the Saoirse Ronan character. There's nothing there. I don't, why, why should I care? I care that he loves her. I don't know her at all. It's, it is as slick and as empty as Wes at his worst for me. That aspect of it. And I think it hurts the film, which is an incredibly enjoyable film. It's a pleasure to look at. I, I, I mean, it's nowhere near my, and for me, you, for, for all the reasons you described so aptly, 
the man should just work in stop action animation. That's his best work. You know, it's, I have not seen Isle of Dogs. Oh, it's fantastic. Okay. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean, Tenenbaum's Fox and Isle of Dogs for me are his very best. Okay. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm in that minority that I actually like Darjeeling Limited a great deal. I like, that's the ones that are next to me. I think I that that's, that because that and, and, and Tannenbaum's for me are the ones that do get at something genuinely sad and genuinely emotional and genuinely true and aren't couched in, in, in twee cuteness. <laughs> I like the tweakiness in this one, but it, it does. There are movies where it turns me off. And, and to be fair, I like Budapest Hotel. I don't dislike Budapest yeah. Hotel. Unlike some, there was any films I did. I dislike Moonrise Kingdom. I do like Grand Budapest. I just don't. I don't love it. And nor do I think it was just a great decade for Wes. Well, you have heard it here first. Coming in 2020, we are going to do a Wes Anderson uh, episode because I think that will give me an excuse. He's to... due for a new one. He it's is. a good he does idea. Have a new one coming out this year. Um, so I think we will slot it for whenever that new one comes out because we have one working out that I believe is a musical, which could that fits be, could be interesting. That is our top ten through six. Join us next week. We will have five through one of the decade. The countdown is on. Perry, in the meantime, where can people find you? You can find me on WLBY twelve ninety AM every Friday morning on the Lucy and Lance show. Facebook, Twitter, Perry Loves Film, and probably at the third row center of your local multiplex. Chris, where can people find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at MereChrissyAmity. You can also find me. I should also toss out there. I have a letterbox. So you can find me on letterbox at Christicism. I cannot talk tonight. You can find me on letterbox at Christicisms. Uh, do you use letterbox? I don't. I probably should. I'm just sort of a, I don't do a lot of social media. It's, I don't use it so much as social media so much as my, it's, it's a nice way for me to keep track over the course of the year. I understand. What I think. It might be the one time I do star ratings because it's just an easy way to Um, but you can find me there and you can find my other show, uh, Wasting Time with Chris Beth and Matt. That is also part of Big Heads Media. We will be back next week to tell you what the best films of the decade finally are. See you then.